welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. You Gentiles are darkened in your understanding and separated from the life of God. Separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, in you, due to the hardening of your hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. On one hand, we, we hear this in this accusation. He's like, oh, he's talking about somebody else. He's talking about the people that are outside my house. I know you didn't come up in my house and say this to me, but no. This letter is to the church. These are not words that are being written to people that have no context of who Christ is. This letter is written to believers. And he's saying that there's all kinds of impurity and greed and indulging in sensuality, what's going on with y'all? This isn't working. That, however, is not the way you learn. Verse 20, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You're called to no longer live the way you came up. Just because you learned a particular way to live doesn't mean it's right. And he's calling them to something different. What is it that you were called to? To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And when the body is fractured and broken, the body suffers. Its mobility cannot move the way it was designed. It can function the way that it is most blessed. It is always coming to the impasse, but the impasse that it faces is not an external force necessarily, but the stuff that we allow to reside within us within us as individuals, within our family units, within our churches. And then he gives them some rapid fire advice. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It seems that this letter 
is misaddressed. That it should be going to people other than my household or your household or the body of Christ. But as we open up the letter and we see the from space, we know that it's from God's heart to our church telling us that the same stuff that's going on in the world has found its way into the community of faith and into our households. And here I, I see that there is actually this cultural push and that this is true. That I even hear people say, Christians say, the only thing that separates me from an unbeliever is the fact that I'm forgiven. Well, you are forgiven. I 100% believe. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven. But if that's the only distinction, then what hope is there in the community of faith? If things are just as messed up inside my life and inside my household as it is out in the world, then what hope is there for the world when they look to the church for an answer? Of course, there's not hope. It's foolhardy to go to a place where the people are just as jacked outside as they are inside. This is the angle and the message that the apostle is trying to point to. It's like, hey, what gives? This is supposed to be a different kind of place where there's not backstabbers and there's not gossipers and there's not all this mess going on. But guess what? It's here. And when it's come to the community of faith, what's happened is, is it fractures us and our dysfunction causes us to malfunction and we can't be a picture of Christ the way that we should. Now, I want to say something here because people say, well, God loves us just the way that we are. I could not agree with that statement anymore. I mean, that is so true. God loves us just the way that we are. But to say that all behaviors are equally acceptable in the eyes of God would be foolhardy. There are things that we do that are acceptable and things that we do that, well, may not be. Here, though, the power of God is speaking to the community, inviting them into a whole different world and telling, them, telling us how it is that we should live together. How God's community should be distinct and the characteristics that should mark us should be that yes, we were messed up and yes, we may still be messed up, but we're working it out and God is making us new and the community of faith is rising up to be something different or distinct. If not, then the church whom scripture says the gates of hell would not prevail against becomes weakened in its message. There should be power in the community of faith to live into the virtue of Christ. To possess his promises, all of what that means. And that we might be a, an inheritance of the work and the power and the presence of God's power to the world. But here then is the struggle. Because theoretically we say, well, that's true. But when God says, hey, I want to start doing some heart surgery on some of the stuff that you've got going on in your life, we're like, mm, not yet. I still want to hold on to that bitterness because that offense really hurt. I still want to hold on to what's happened to me in my past because that's how I learned it. And it's like soul food for us. It, it, it feeds us to do things that sometimes are dysfunctional. We need to own that. Because when somebody curses us out, it feels good to have a few words to say in return. But that old way of life is toxic. And what it does is it prevents the community of faith from living as God intended it to. 
But there's some keys here that I want to maybe pass along because I think that they've got some life and some strength and some grace for us today that can actually have the power to change us into who God is calling us to be. If we're going to live as God's community, if our households are going to be godly households, if this church is going to be a godly church, the first thing that I see in this text is we can't shut down. The scripture is very specific. It says that the Gentiles had lost all sensitivity. What's that mean? Well, that they lost sensitivity towards one another, that they weren't living in such a way that they could empathize with one another, see where somebody else is coming from. They could only see it from their perspective. But not only that, they had become insensitive to God's work in their own hearts. Not only were they being insensitive to one another, but they were being insensitive to the Spirit's working. It's put like this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not make God grieve. What is God grief? He grieves when his people hear the word of the Lord and are invited into the great that the word of God promises to us. And instead of allowing the spirit of God to make us alive, we're saying, nah, I'm good. I'm going to hold on to that one. I like that addiction. I like those kinds of responses. That offense is too deep and walking in that kind of forgiveness is more than I'm able to do. And we've got to work and worry that we do not lose our sensitivity to the Spirit when the Spirit is trying to say something to us. I've even heard people say, well, I'm not convicted about us. I'm not convicted about this. You're not convicted about stealing $500 from your mom? Well, the Spirit must not be. No, the Spirit has told you not to do it. You've just hardened yourself so much that you no longer hear God's voice anymore. You want to know what makes God cry? You know what makes the Spirit grieve? Is when we have walled out His work in our lives to the degree that we no longer hear what He's trying to say to us. The life that He's trying to give to us where we say, God, I know that this is the right way, but no, or I refuse to even hear that there's another way other than my own point of view. We can be so dogmatically con con consumed with a particular opinion and be completely wrong about that opinion and it be so closed off and so closed-minded that the Spirit of God has no access. And when we lose our sensitivity that way, what it does is it hijacks our life and we begin to malfunction in culture. We're driving around just minding our own business and then like a car that's breaking down, something happens and immediately our response is vitriol. Immediately our go-to is offense. Immediately our, our, our backup is going back to an old form of the way of being. He says, look, Gentiles, you're called to be something different. You're called to allow the virtue and the grace and the power of the cross to begin to move you into a whole different way of being. I remember a few years back, I was talking to this person, and they come to church. They said, oh, I don't sit over on that side of the church. I said, I like it over on this side of the church. Why don't you sit on that church? Because so-and-so sits over there, and me and her don't get along. I said, okay, okay, you're in church now, right? So it's just, so I, I, I'm a pastor, so I'm a little bit inquisitive. I want to know. It's like, what, what happened? What'd she do to you that you can't even sit on the same side of church as she? She says, I don't even remember, but it was big. 
I know some people can actually remember the hurts and the wounds. But in the family of God, we have to work at letting those wounds become healed, to scar over so that we can show a testimony of where God works. The worst thing that you can do when there's conflict in a marriage is shut down. The worst thing you can do in the family of God when you're feeling frayed and broken and beaten is to shut down. And yet that's what we often do. We get upset. We won't even cross the aisle to go say hey. Or we just decide, you know what? I'll just move on to the next church until the offense comes there. And then we move on to the next one till the offense comes there. And we just keep moving, never realizing that we were called to be something different. Just as I can't leave the home and the household with my brothers who I grew up with, they will always be my brothers. In a similar way, we are the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, united for a particular purpose, part of one body. Amen. To live into the grace and strength that the, the body of Christ is supposed to, not for you to be a solo Christian somewhere. I'm not sure that anybody could even do that thing. Because if we're supposed to be a body of Christ, that means you're a part of something bigger. Not so you and yours can get yous and yours, but so that you can be a part of something that's much bigger than yourself. Which leads us to the second idea that we find in this text, and that is that we need to start focusing on outcomes. That we don't just refuse to shut down, but like what behaviors is God wanting from me? What will these behaviors, if I apply them to my life, produce? And if those things produce, how will the body of Christ become more of who it's always supposed to have been? These are the outcomes that the scripture is pointing to. And that's why he says things like, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Tell it just like it is. Tell it loud. Tell it proud. Tell the truth. You say, Pastor, come on. You're telling us at church not to lie. We know better than that. We don't lie. Or maybe I do sometimes, you say, but I don't lie in church. Oh, yeah? How many times have you told somebody, I'm doing good, and you're eating up inside? How many times have you told somebody, no, no, everything's going great. Bless God. God is for me, not against me. I know that I am good because I am the head and not the tail. But you feel beaten up. You come fronting with that falsehood and the body of Christ can't rally around you because you refuse to allow them in your little world trying to be protected in your little cocoon. But that falsehood keeps the body from moving. It's okay not to be all right. It's okay to struggle, but when we're struggling, we need the help of the community of faith coming alongside of us and helping us to live the life that we could not live otherwise. But when we lie or we refuse to engage the truth in the way that we do, because telling a lie is one thing, but sometimes not speaking the truth is the same thing as falsehood. When you just let someone go into the hell that they're running full head of steam towards and you do nothing to stop them. What more falsehood could be greater than that? He goes on to say anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Now, I have had people, I've, we planted a church, and so we've had people steal from us. I've lost a car from the parking lot one time. It ended up in Wilmington. I've lost a cell phone one time. I recovered it. The Lord gave it back. But this isn't, I don't think, the only stealing it's talking about. Sure, it includes that. 
Because the scripture says, they must not steal any longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. That there's another way in which we steal from the body of Christ, and that is refusing to offer our gifts so that the body can function as it's designed to function. When you only take from the body and you're not trying to help the body become the best that it can be, we're all trying to drag around that one part that refuses to walk. Baby, walk. We need your leg moving so the other one can move. We need the hands moving together. And when all the body functions as it's designed, what it does is it creates momentum that cannot be stopped. But the theft can be so great when we refuse to put our hand to the work and then complain because it's jacked. Now, I didn't hear an amen, but that's a good word, Pastor. You need to tell that one because there are times that the body of Christ needs to function and move. And the reason it can't is because the body won't engage. And when it doesn't engage, it causes great suffering within the community. Do something useful with your hands so you may have something to share with those in need. Can I just tell you that I am desperate for your gift in my life. I need your anointing in my life because I can't be who I'm called to be because I don't see it all the way that I should and I need your help. And guess what? You need mine. And when we fail to engage the body of Christ that way, it staggers and stumbles and falters because the body is not engaged in the way that it should. So yes, it's okay to not be okay, but our goal is to make you well so that we can all work together and so that you can give to the body the way that God designed you to give to it. Amen. That is not however... What you learn, as scripture says, to, to, to just take, but to be a giver. When you heard about Christ and were taught in, in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. What's that mean? It ain't about you anyway. That there's something much bigger that we're all a part of, and it includes you, but it's not just about you. It is about you, but it's not just about you. We need all of us together to recognize that, that we are no longer takers but givers, that as a church that we are to work together as a community for the betterment of what God is trying to communicate to this greater triangle area in the form of this community being life to it. Could it be the reason why there's so much violence in the world is the church has refused to live into the virtue that God has called it to? I believe it's true, but I believe that there's something better inside of us. A few years back, I was with a buddy of mine, and he said that he was just sitting there watching TV with his, with his girlfriend, and just part of his body just quit working. He was trying to watch a movie, but his eyelids, the muscles there, quit working. And so he was literally having to hold his eyelids over to watch television. And he said, and then his hands shut down and his body shut down. And I thought, you know, that's a powerful metaphor for the way that the church often works. He was communicating to me a very real problem that he had, that his body was shutting down. And I think that's the angle that Paul is trying to take here in approaching this text. That when we're not living into these things and where these wounds are moving about in our lives and we don't address them, then what happens is that parts of the body begin to shut down. 
And so the, the, the fingers that were meant to pick up something are now having to hold up eyelids. We're going to focus on outcomes. That the reason why we work towards reconciliation with one another, the reason why we do the hard work of healing, the reason why we are determined to live together as a people from generation to generation, from all kinds of different ethnicities and backgrounds, the reason we're determined is because we're better together. And without you, we can never be who we're called to be. It includes you. So I said, don't shut down. And I've told you that we need to focus on outcomes. But now I'm going to tell you to shut the door because it's the third big idea here. And I said, it seems sort of contradictory to the first point, Pastor. You said to, that we're not supposed to shut down, but now you're telling me to shut the door. Yeah, I am telling you to shut the door because Scripture says very clearly that we're not to give the devil a foothold. That we need to stop the devil's access into our lives. And how do we do that? Well, by getting rid of bitterness. There's no place in the kingdom of God for bitterness or anger or rage or brawling or slander. You're like, well, I don't do those things. Every time you refuse to lift a hand to help someone that you know is in need or to help the community be who it is, you are doing a form of violence. It's just more subtle. Because the work of the Lord cannot progress as it should. And because it can't, someone isn't being fed. Or a backpack isn't being filled. Or love and a hug that needs to be shared isn't being offered. And so the violence is there. It's just more subtle. And that's the way it often forms in the body of Christ. But Paul said, don't give the devil access into your life by keeping those things as a part of your persona and character. The character of the kingdom is something decidedly different than that and requires from us that we stop the devil's access into our lives. It's like this. You ever go out the door of your front door of your house and the mat gets stuck into the door and you can walk away thinking everything's good, door's locked, I close the door, everything's good, everything's safe inside the house. And then you come home and you notice your front door's open. You're like, wait, you didn't realize that the mat has gotten stuck between the, the door jam and the door. And now any intruder can come in. You show up, your DVD player's gone. They st stole your Armani shirt. They stole your Kango cap. You're just empty. You have nothing. And you're like, how did that happen? You gave the devil a foothold. That's the same way the enemy accesses our lives. When we allow sin to be untended in our hearts, it gives the enemy open access. And so at any point, at any time, he can wreck our lives with ease because we have given him a foothold. He's got his foot right in the door. He's got his foot right there. He says, okay, are, are you good? Oh, we have a service. Bless God. Oh, hey, yeah. Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. And we go away and that door is wide open and he gets you every time and you wonder why your life keeps malfunctioning. It's because dysfunction continues to be allowed to reign unchecked in your life and home. God wants us to shut the door on the attack of the enemy, shut the door on his access into our lives, and in, live into the character and virtue of the kingdom, which means that we're called to live together. I am called by God to love you. And whether you like it or not, you're called by God to love me. 
And somehow through all of that, we together do the work of the kingdom that brings glory to his name, not just here, but all over the world. This is what God wants for us. And we have to be determined to do it because there is a real enemy that wants us not to function as we're supposed to. There's a real adversary that wants to destroy our work by not destroying us from without because the gates of hell cannot prevail, but from within. The places that we give access so that our lives never really become what it is that God intends. I'd like the worship team to join me. Why? Because everything seems more holy with music. It just does. It just seems a little bit more holy when the keyboard goes and that guitar just starts playing. Nope. But for real, here's what I want to say. When we have these areas of our heart that we refuse to address in the places that we're not okay, that we've been bearing false witness to our church, they can't help us if we don't talk about it. And they can't help us if we're not open to change. I need to be open to change and I need your help because there's some areas of my heart that still God is trying to work out and I need your gift in my life. And you need my gift in yours. And somehow together we become the community of faith that God has always wanted us to be. But holding on to that dysfunction will always cause our life to malfunction and not prosper the way that God intends or designs. That's true of our homes And it's definitely true of this church and every church. Some years ago, my father-in-law was in a church. He saw this woman. It was a church that he was familiar with. Her hands were gnarled like this. She walked with a cane. And the reason was she had arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. It was terrible. It was debilitating. She'd been robbed of years, some of the best years of her life because of this disease. And the way that her hands were stuck were in a position like she was gripping something. So she'd come into church, and every week she would ask for prayer. The prayer would come. My father-in-law said that she was in this condition for quite some time. One day there was a guest speaker that really wasn't familiar with her situation. He looked over at her as she had come down to the altar for prayer. And he asked her, what do you want? She says, I want God to heal me. And he said this word, it was so prophetic. God has been trying to heal you for 10 years. But until you release that unforgiveness in your life, you're never, ever, ever going to find the healing that you want. She began to cry. Tears are running down her face. And without even any control, she just blurts out in sort of an embarrassing fashion, but you have no idea what he did to me. He says, you're right. I don't. And I can't even identify with that kind of pain. But I hear the Lord here saying now that if you let it go, that your healing would come.
So there she was in the altar, just bound up with this arthritic, arthritic condition, and she just can't function or prosper. But she just began to announce these words, I forgive you. But it sounded more like rage the first few times. I forgive you. Lord, you forgive me, so I forgive him. Lord, you have designed me for new life. Therefore, I can't hold on to the old one. And right there, this woman that had been bound for 10 years was made whole in, this, in the sight of everyone that was there. Amen. Let's give God praise for that. The final part of this section of this passage says this. This is what the community of faith is supposed to look like. Be kind. Kind is different than nice. Kind is to stand in the way of harm that may be coming to someone. Kind is willing to tell the truth. Kind is willing to do whatever it takes so that someone can hope. Think about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. He's showing kind. And then it says this, and compassionate. There is not a stronger word that reflects the character and the love of God than this word in all of the New Testament. And God is calling us to have the very same compassion that Christ did. Like that good Samaritan that was willing to cross the road and see some stranger in the ditch and pick picked them up and put them on his own beast and to carry them and to pay for them and to be restored. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Church, this is where our victory is found. It's living into this character. Man, this is where the enemy most wants to wreck our lives and to destroy us and to beat us down. I feel, though, that there's a special place of his grace that's here this morning. The Lord knew in his providence that you would be here. And he set you up to hear this message because he doesn't want your dysfunction to malfunction your life anymore. He wants to bring you into new life and peace and grace and help. And it's here in this place for you to receive. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads with me, Heavenly Father? I feel your strength and grace and power and love in this place so strong. Lord, I feel you working in a very unique way in this community of gatherers that have come on this particular Sunday. Some that may have just strolled in from out of town and are here for one day. Others that are here every week and hear the word of the Lord come from this place. But for all of these, Lord, you had revelation that you wanted to deposit in their hearts because your plan for them is to thrive in the things of God. But today, as we have looked in an examination of our lives and seen ourselves in the spiritual mirror of your word, we have found where we are still wanting and where we need your move to come and to meet us here and now. Supernaturally, my God, I pray that you would begin to do soul surgery on each of us, and me included, in those spaces that I've allowed the enemy to work in my life, the places where I've given the enemy a foothold, the places where they've given the enemy a foothold, the places where they are still stuck and bound and need to be 
set free. I pray that you would meet every single one of them there in the name of Jesus. And that the new life of the power of the cross would meet each one in such a supernatural way that they leave never, ever, ever the same again. God, do it now. In Jesus' name. Someone's been carrying bitterness around. You don't even know how long it's been because it feels like your whole life. The Lord is saying, let it go. The blessings he's been trying to give have been stopped up by that place in your heart. Today he wants to remove it. Give him access. Someone else feels bound in their spirit. They try to make progress and they've got dreams and goals. But every time they make some movement there, there's always this sense that they just hitting a wall. The Lord's saying today that he desires to bring a wrecking ball to that place in your life. And to come and meet you in a very special way. To bring you into that new hope. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. Some of you need special prayer today. And you want to be included in the prayer that I'm going to pray in just a moment. And the call is this. If you know that there's some spaces in your heart where you need God to do some soul surgery some heart surgery in you in a spiritual sense. And you want God's help today to be delivered and set free and made new in the power of his grace. I just want you to do something for me. I just want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, when you pray, would you just remember me? If that's you, yeah. Oh, man, lots and lots of hands. Yeah, wow, amen. Others, so many. Spirit of God's in this place. Others, you want to join the hands that have already gone up? Don't miss this. I'm not, I'm not going to... Draw some crazy attention to you, but this is your moment. Don't miss it. God's here. Reach for him. It's like you're reaching up to heaven and say, God, me. I want to be included in this. Me. Yeah, I see you. Somebody else. Somebody else. Join these. So many have already gone up and down. I feel like there's someone else. I'm hanging on for you for just another second. There's always room. We talked about it earlier. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. 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 Woo. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor Russ and prayer workers, if you come over here by the cross, I'm going to pray. And if you need special prayer and you want somebody to touch and agree with you, I've got some of our staff over here right at the cross that want to pray with you about these things. I'm going to pray over you, but there's going to be uh, an opportunity for you to have special prayer. And these guys and women are going to be over there just for you today. I want to pray over you. And if you have a desire to come and you want somebody to agree with you in prayer, I want you to meet them over here right now. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that supernaturally that you would be in this place and that you would move upon us in power and in might and that you would open a door, God, and that you would make a way. I pray, Lord Jesus, that there would not be any distance between us and you anymore. That those places in our heart where we feel such brokenness, places that we feel such, so bound, I pray that, God, that you would deliver us and you would give us new life. I pray, Lord, that supernaturally that you would guide us and help us and strengthen us. And for those, Lord, that feel on the wrong side of your promises today, that they would recognize that they are, in fact, favored, loved, and that you are opening a door for them and that you're bringing them into new life. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that every single person that lifted their hand would be set free in the power of the cross of Jesus. The worship team is going to play and sing. 
And as they do, I want to invite us as a community into a space of worship. I'm going to join this prayer section over here because I feel like I need to be praying over some folks today. And maybe some people want to pray over me. That's fine too. But we're here to pray for one another because I believe that God is trying to bring breakthrough in this house. And as we worship and as we pray together, I just believe that something is going to be released in this environment and in the hearts and lives that are desperate to see God work. And so as a, we worship, I just want you to ask God a simple question. Lord, what do I need to do instead so I don't stay stuck where I've been? What can I do now to bring new life? So if you need prayer for anything while the worship team comes and they do their thing, I just want you to meet me over here and the other prayer workers. I would love to pray with you. And let's just invite God into this space for just a moment. Can we do that? Let's do it. Worship team, lead us.